Greetings, I'm Keith Klein, the host of the VentureBiz Podcast, where I interview the most fascinating people in the tech scene. This is episode 146, and today's guest is Travis Montague, founder and CEO of Holler. A couple of years ago, I rarely used emojis while communicating with friends, family, or professional contacts. Now I find that I'm using them all the time as it is an easy and accepted way to communicate with people, especially since you can't really read tone through just words. Holler is a venture-backed company in New York City that is helping people have better conversations through expressive content. Travis saw the future of this form of communication early on, and this is definitely a situation where being early to market was a competitive advantage for Holler. It is an industry that has exploded where messaging is one of the top five activities that people engage in, and it has generated 100 trillion messages alone last year. What is also truly inspirational about Travis's career path is how his career began at Chick-fil-A as a teenager and how he quickly rose up through the ranks into management and what this overall experience taught him at an early age. In this episode of our podcast, we cover lots of great topics, like why Travis decided to turn down an offer at Goldman Sachs to start his own company, all the details on what Holler does and where they're planning on heading in the future, how the company is working with leading brands to help bring visual, engaging, and expressive content to the masses, advice for founders who might be early to market, how to successfully leverage PR to grow awareness for your company, and so much more. Okay, quick side note. Did you know that you can get customized job alerts delivered to your inbox every single day? It's a great way to keep informed of the over 4,700 jobs listed on VentureFizz and have the jobs from a specific category sent directly to you. Don't let that career-defining opportunity pass you by. Go to VentureFizz.com backslash email to sign up. All right, without further ado, here's my interview with Travis. Travis, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Keith. So I'm excited to talk to you because we got a lot to talk about in terms of how the world is changing and how people communicate, uh, and of course your company Holler. Um, so along those lines, let's actually kind of dig into that because I think it is fascinating how uh, people are communicating these days. Uh, I think in the past, I would never put emojis into an email, yet I do all the time now. Yep. Uh, on texting, right? And uh, you know, your app makes it really engaging and more fun to use. So I just think of how my psyche uh, has evolved where in business I, I use it where I never thought in a million years five ten years ago I would use emojis in a business email but I do so so what do you think has changed in terms of why this has become such an important piece of how people communicate now yeah so I think it's been an evolution with respect to the venue by which people communicate and so back in the day when people used to speak with one another we used to sit down face to face and a lot of the information that you were able to glean was based off of not just the words I'm saying, but my things like my body language, my tone of voice, etc. Actually, a study by UCLA showed that when you form your opinion of me, 38% is based on uh, my body. Only well, 55% is based off my body language, uh, while 38% is based off my tone of voice, mm-hmm. um, and the. The, what, and only 7% is actually based off the words. And so what that says is that if we're not in an environment where we're communicating with each other face-to-face, then a lot of critical information is lost. Mm-hmm. And so when, you, when we've seen the world over the last two decades change the way they communicate with each other from uh, to moving online to email, to messaging environments, social platforms, uh, gaming apps, dating apps, etc., what we've seen is a requirement for 
different tools and content formats to bring back elements into conversation that was lost uh, when we moved from offline to online. Yeah. Um, and so the things that you're describing make a lot of sense uh, to me with, with respect to the need to put these types of images, whether it's emoji, GIFs, stickers, etc., into your communications uh, so that you can strike the same type of tone, uh, quote unquote, in your messages. That's so true because tone, you can't really truly understand tone in email. You could be sarcastic, yet the, the receiver would be like, well, that was awfully you know, wise or like off base. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it does definitely help to kind of create that tone. Well, let's talk about your background. So uh, you have a fascinating story as far as you know your foundation of your career. So talk about that. Yeah, so my story is very untraditional from a standard. Which is why I love. Yeah. So uh, my, my first venture was when I was nine. Uh, I started a car wash with my friends. I hired six of my friends in my neighborhood. Uh, it was called Squeaky Clean Car Wash. Um, and, you know, we went around, uh, hired, uh, washed a ton of cars, and we went out of business two weeks later because I couldn't afford to get more supplies. After having paid all my friends, so that you could call that my first startup fail. But um, no, really, uh, I started my first official job uh, at the age of fifteen at Chick Fil A's, mm-hmm. and that was that actually became a really fascinating experience for me. Um, I, it was based down in South Florida. Um, started as a regular cashier, was promoted five times to become a GM and managing one hundred and twenty people at the age of nineteen. Also serving as training director. Um, and they, that opportunity, because I was so close to the company, afforded me a scholarship by the company to attend the University of Miami, mm-hmm. for which I started studying finance. Decided that that wasn't uh, what I wanted to do ultimately. I had so much, I was empowered a lot at Chick-fil-A to achieve a lot of things and take up a lot of responsibility. And I, thought, I felt like that was marginalized. Mm-hmm. in the in the finance world and so I decided that I would change and more importantly I was fascinated with what was happening in the world of tech right and I decided that I wanted to start my own tech venture so very untraditional background I yeah decided. like Chick-fil-A thing so you know I, I, who doesn't love Chick-fil-A right but you walk into that store it's a very different experience than other you know fast food establishments you walk in the people are incredibly friendly it's clean you know, when you walk into another fast food establishment, you get a very different customer service vibe. Yep. So what do you think that experience from, you know, working in, in that type of role taught you? Well, it taught me many things. One, they taught the, they taught the base, the basics of service. Um, so it, whether it was serving our customers or serving each other and also ultimately becoming a servant leader. Um, they were very keen on providing training and support and mentorship even at the earliest stages. And so I got my, I received my earliest, my first leadership role at the age of 15. Right. Uh, and it was because I showed up every single day. I was on time. I did the job thoroughly. And for that reason, they decided that I should be uh, leading the training efforts at this, the unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of, it, it, it brought it brought into focus having a good work ethic. Um, it also brought into uh, focus the notion of character and near values. Um, Chick-fil-A, I would say, is a very value-driven, values-driven organization, and they constantly challenge me around how do I demonstrate self-leadership? Mm-hmm. How do you walk the walk? And, and, and essentially um, have the fundamental, uh, fundamental training or um, disciplines of leadership. Right. 
and that and and we were able to, and that those learnings from the very early days and the amount of investment that everyone from my operator to people from corporate gave me positioned me to really hit the ground running with my career even when I left Chick-fil-A. Yeah, it was great foundation years. So so then after University of Miami you spent time in private equity investment banking. So what what made you realize that that just wasn't what you wanted to do? Yeah, so um you know, I, I spent five years at Chick-fil-A, great time, um, went to, I was studying finance, and because of the amount of responsibility I was able to receive at such an early age, mm-hmm. I the uh, I was president of my class at the business school, on dean's board, the dean uh, put me directly in touch with a private equity firm that hired me right away mm-hmm. as a full-time analyst while I was in college. Okay. Um, was doing really was learning a ton I think it it gave me the opportunity to exercise different muscles that I hadn't so I, I was able to uh, learn a lot about leadership in particular at Chick-fil-A uh, and then you know moving into the private equity space gave me a lot of technical skills that I didn't have before and how to think about investments and in companies and business models and opportunities and markets mm-hmm. um, but and then I, you know, at the time I wanted to, you know, go bulge bracket. So I was like, okay, I'm going to move to New York, spend some time doing that and kind of cut my teeth there. And what I realized is when I moved up into that bulge bracket arena, mm-hmm. my level of impact was changed dramatically. So I was really fascinated with the ability to work with companies uh, of all different types understanding how to grow a business again this was a very different skill set than I had before I it wasn't a, I wasn't afforded the opportunity to do that in investment banking at the scale and the level of impact that I wanted and that's what made me transition from finance to tech Got ultimately it. so what led you down the path to start your own company yeah so uh, at the time I, I started hearing a lot about this fancy uh, this fancy term often called big data mm-hmm and I was really fascinated with with how people are using big data to personalize experiences for people. Right. Um, so what I decided to do at the time, I raised a friends and family round. I had I was to go to Goldman Sachs and work uh, full time, and I decided to turn down that opportunity to pursue an opportunity to pursue my own um, uh, venture. Uh, against my mother's will, but <laughs> <laughs> the, the, but pursue my own venture, um, uh, at the time with the funds that I had raised. And that, and that's a very risky, like you mentioned, like, you know, Goldman, like, I mean, they, they pay really, really well. So for you to turn that down and just carve your own path, that, that, that was a risk. Yeah. I mean, I remember having a conversation with my mother about, uh, the fact that I was turning down this job and, and going to start my own company. And she was like, well, you know, uh, how much you get paid, and I was like nothing. <laughs> you know, you, you just you just got you just got your college degree, and now you're going to you, you spend so much on an education, and now you're you're, you're not going to make anything, and you're turning down you know a six figure job. Yeah. Uh, and then you know when we when even the application that we delivered, she was like, so how does it? What are you selling? How does it make revenue? And I was like, well, it doesn't make any money today. <laughs> and so that was a very perplexing thought for her, but we, yeah. we worked through it and she's very happy today. Yeah. Uh, but you know, the, the, when I was um, starting the application, it was really on this, I, this core idea of how do you uh, 
personalize the delivery of content for people. Mm -hmm. So essentially, we delivered an app, we developed an application that delivered people news and video content. And with this content, there was a social aspect, and I wanted people to share the content that they were receiving with others. Mm -hmm. When we launched the application, people weren't doing that behavior a lot. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is that well, maybe people are not sharing the content they see because they don't have anything to say. Right. But everything you see makes you feel a certain way. So what if you could just share that feeling? Mm -hmm. So at the time, I removed all words from the platform and allowed people to only share by clicking on one of twelve emoji. Ah, okay. And that overwhelmingly was the most highly engaged feature that people uh, utilized in the application. Hmm. And what I realized was, in a world where you could get news and video from a lot of places. This notion of visual communication or digital expression is novel, and at the time there wasn't many people talking about it. So we pivoted from that company uh, and really focused on understanding this phenomenon, and it was being driven by the backs of mobile and all of the other uh, kind of tangential industry movements mm -hmm. and consumer behavioral shifts. And we started at the time. It was me, a team of engineers and data scientists and researchers, and we started to pull a lot of information out around the rise of visual communication. And so we we produced the first emoji report that was that's still uh, being referenced today. Mm -hmm. And we were doing that on an annualized basis, and that put me in a lot of different rooms. Um, with brands and platforms and people who wanted to understand more about what I was unsurfacing, mm -hmm. and that those those types of conversations eventually led to the company Holler that you you see today. And this the time frame of this initial report was two thousand and fifteen or two thousand sixteen. So, to my you know statement early on in our podcast. That, that was a time frame when I would never put an emoji in an email, right? So it's still kind of like a emerging area that is becoming a lot more common. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at this point in time, Facebook didn't have it. Okay. Like there was the things that we were talking about were a couple years ahead of its time. Right. And it was like we were posting everything that we were posting was getting picked up because, you know, how many people are using a, uh, emoji, how and why, right. the cognitive and emotional aspects of it. Why is it eliciting more response? And, and fundamentally, what made me fascinated about the entire thing is that it, people think they're fun things to use, but they actually are playing a more functional role in conversation than people actually realize. Mm -hmm. Like they are filling in critical information that couldn't possibly be conveyed without adding the nuance of images to augment that text so that you could, you as an individual, can interpret the information correctly. Got it. So how did you take that point of recognizing like there's something here to start to actually productize, you know, your offering? Yeah. So, you know, the first, the first, um, the first foray into this was, uh, I was like, okay, well how we can leverage, uh, emoji to elicit response from people, allow people to express themselves. And initially, I was like, well, what if we put emoji on ads so people could say that they don't like them, things like that. And mm -hmm. so we created an ad format where you could re respond uh, you could respond to the ad with an emoji to say, hey, I don't really like this or not, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So these were sentiment-enriched ads. And we're like, okay, that's interesting, but that's not really it. Um, but then we realized that, you know, we should just, when you look at this particular experience globally, 
there's no one really taking this, making it better, uh, and advancing it as a particular category. Mm-hmm. Um, there is it, when we think about how people are spending their time, messaging is one of the top five activities that people do. Is it really? how they spend their time and when you look at the amount of messaging that occurs so last year there was a hundred trillion messages sent across messaging applications staggering and when you to put that in perspective for you that's versus 1.6 trillion searches on google Mm, okay just to show you the the scale scale there and expressive content like emoji stickers and gifs are sent 3.8 are included in 3.8 trillion messages a year Versus 1.8 trillion YouTube videos watched. Wow. So for us, we were like, well, this is a content format that people really value. If you do anything a trillion times, <laughs> you right. value it. And we were, we, were, we, were, we were adamant that we wanted to improve that experience and make it an opportunity. And, we act, and we've done this across some of the largest platforms in the world, ranging from LinkedIn to uh, Badoo and Twitch and others. Um, and that, and because we've done that and created a better experience for people and give them more options to express themselves or add color or a little fun or tone or texture to their conversation, this is, this has turned into a massive opportunity for brands for which we work with some of the largest brands in the world. So, uh, well, let's talk about your company now. So you did rebrand from emoji to holler. So what was the decision there and, and, you know, kind of what? How'd you you know going through a rerun is a challenge. So how did you kind of come to the conclusion of of holler? Yeah, so uh, that's a great that's a great question. So we um, since the beginning. So when we talk identified that messaging it, it happens messages a hundred trillion are sent a year. Um, we looked at it as a as a channel as an interface, and since the beginning, we've always believed that it needs to catch up. Mm-hmm. So when you look at channels like social and search those socials are enabled with art those channels are enabled with artificial intelligence they have uh, robust content solutions you're able to access information easily you're able to transact when you look at messaging as a platform it hasn't evolved much since the first text message was sent in 1992 mm-hmm so the first text message was sent in 1992 by an engineer named Dr. Neil Popworth. And that was from a computer to a mobile phone. And that was Merry Christmas, which was just essentially text on a screen. Okay. Fast forward decades later, the interface is largely still text on a screen. Right. And it's really, and it, and it's really flat. So our whole mission here at Holler is to enrich conversations everywhere. And the reason why it's those three words specifically is because we could always innovate around what it means to enrich. Mm-hmm. And we believe that the way to, the, at the core, the way to enrich conversations is by combining AI, uh, creativity and content, and lastly, great product design. So providing, so the way our product works, it's, it's integrated into these applications and we surface the content uh, leveraging uh, real-time recommendations from our AI and you know the stickers product under emoji was the first our first foray into the types of things that we will do in the messaging environment mm-hmm. um, when you think about the reason why we evolved from uh, emoji to holler 
is because we have even bigger aspirations for what that interface could look like because we already understand that people are they have a need for expressive emotional content mm-hmm. but they're talking about the things that are happening in the world the places that they want to go they're trying to coordinate and achieve things and so we're we are holler's mi- mission is to improve the experience by making those things seamless for you right well, what are like examples? You talk about brands, right? That, yeah. That's so. I assume that's primarily the, you know, the, how you monetize what you're doing, right? Yeah. So, um, so talk about some of the brands and some like like use cases, examples that have been out there already. Yeah. So, um, it's been really exciting years. So we've, uh, as a company, uh, we've grown from doing 20 million messages a day on our platform at the beginning of the year, and now we're at 600 million messages wow. a day uh, on our platform, and the the on the backs of that growth uh, afforded a lot of opportunities for global brands. Mm-hmm. So we work with brands uh, like Keurig or Mars, right? So anytime somebody's hangry, we could surface Snickers content, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. At that particular moment in time. We work with uh, brands like Ikea, who, you know, they're trying, they're promote. they wanted to be involved in conversations around sleep. Okay. Right, and, and so we were able to identify conversations around sleep and surface IKEA branded stickers in that moment in real time. Mm-hmm. And they were able to garner, um, reach millions of people in as part of this initiative. Yeah, I mean, with Mars, uh, it, within the week of a four week campaign, 42 million stickers <laughs> viewed uh, in a very short period of time. So. We are creating an opportunity for brands for the first time to reach people in private messaging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really important for brands because, you know, even the largest social player, CEO Mark Zuckerberg, has waved the flag that the future is private messaging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what's important for brands to do is to, to really come up with their messaging agenda given that there's another uh, consumer behavioral shift upon us and they're tapping holler uh, to, because we've always been about conversations and private messaging and understanding the space to help them foray into that particular arena. Yeah. Now how about the, now there is like a deep level of sophistication on your platform too. So like the use of machine learning, like how is that incorporated? Yeah. So Developing uh, developing AI in messaging environments is one of the most challenging things to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you think about traditional AI, it has the opportunity to you know you send mess- uh, information to a server and the server can respond. Messaging, the speed and velocity of it makes it challenging. So people type so quickly that if you're making real-time recommendations, your AI has less than 10 milliseconds to respond. Mm, okay. Because you're, it's keystrokes. Right. That amount of time is physically, it's physically impossible for a information to hit a server and return results in that speed. Mm-hmm. So because of that, the AI has to live on the phone, which is also great because if the AI lives on your phone, then you're, it's, it's, pri- it's privacy compliant. Mm-hmm. So we've developed here a AI that lives on your phone and it could it, it doesn't need it we we believe that your privacy is, is of the utmost importance and so it's able to deliver you this type of value without sending sensitive information to our servers mm-hmm. which is really important to us as a company. 
Um, the second piece of that is, so now you're running an AI on the phone, the next level of complexity comes around how do you run, when you think about, we're a global platform. So we're, we're you know, US, South, South America, Indonesia, everywhere. Certain markets, the they run on lower end Android devices. Those are the prevalent types of devices, mm-hmm. and you cannot run certain types of algorithms on those phones because it'll it'll de- deplete the resources of that phone. Right. So when you're thinking about the fact that messaging is is leverage is used by about ninety seven percent of the the mobile population, um, and that that's everywhere. So. We have to adjust because we work for the largest, we, we partner with some of the largest platforms in the world, develop AI that's privacy compliant on your phone, resource, like knows how to leverage the resources it has available to it to ultimately deliver you a good experience. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what our research teams here at Holler are focused on from a techno- technological perspective. So for some entrepreneurs, you know, sometimes early to market can be a wonderful thing. Sometimes it can be detrimental because the market's just not ready for what you're envisioning in the future. So you entered this market early, yet it was a key benefit. Yeah. What advice would you give to other founders on getting you know, initial traction, right? So uh, you know, I don't know what the early sales conversations were like with the brands, but you know, they probably get it now, but two, three years ago, they were probably like, hmm, it sounds interesting. I don't know if it fits you know, our, our brand, right? So, so what advice would you give to founders on being early to market and you know being that uh, you know educating you know the, yeah. the buyers that this is something that's going to benefit them. Yeah. So you want the first thing when you're early to market, you have to recognize that you're early to market. Right. So one of the things that startups uh, really have a challenge with is, and they don't necessarily get product market fit. Sometimes they think it's the product's the problem, but mm-hmm. it's the market timing issue. They have to know what part of the cycle they're in. And if you are early to market, you have to have a plan as to how you're going to innovate, develop, capitalize until the market catches up. Right. Right. So if you're so and that's one of the things that we focused on as a company, we realize what's most important. So in the early days, so although we were early to market for brands, we weren't early to market for consumers. Mm So what we did was focus on developing a solution that was that created a good consumer experience and socializing at and giving that to um, the largest platforms in the world. The early days, in the early days, we had a lot of we had to learn a lot of this stuff. Like we didn't realize that all the technological limitations of messaging, so we had to figure that out. Right. The growing consumer demand around privacy. We had to figure it out. So we, what, one of the things that we realized early on is that if there's going to be a global AI for messaging environments, it has to take a different perspective than the way that some of the largest tech companies like Google and Facebook have taken to developing technology. Because mm-hmm. they are prone to capture as much user data as possible mm-hmm. and train AIs versus like in the messaging environment, you just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. So we had to take those types of, we had to create those stances and develop our, our, our values around this very early on and then start to develop technology around that and then develop the experience for users and start getting that deployed. Mm-hmm. So we were able to be on time in that sense, but you know, that, 
there's no revenue coming in at that point. So right. you have to be make sure that you, if you're going to take, and this goes back to you have to know you're early. So if you're going to take this approach, you have to be able to articulate why. Mm-hmm. So early, various early on, we were we were focused on making sure that we're going to focus, and we told that to our investors, we're going to focus on deploying, distributing our technology. We're going to focus on creating content, creating a good experience, and revenue's not focused today. Mm-hmm. And you have to partner with investors who are aligned with that thinking. Right. If you have, if there's a fundamental misalignment, then that's a problem with you and your investors. The, going further, um, that afforded us the opportunity that now when marketers are paying attention to this problem, we are sitting at the ready because we have they're, they're looking for places to go and there's not many at all. Right. And so we found, I find myself traveling all around the world, whether in Amsterdam or here or London or wherever, um, to educate some of the lar- executives of the largest brands in the world how they should be thinking about not st- stickers and emoji, but how to think about messaging as a channel for their business and how to drive the most value out of it and true business outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, going back to your original question, I think the first part of the, the, the equation is to understand where you are mm-hmm. and the more, and you know, you have to be really true to yourself and honest about that. And once you map that out, then you can develop a plan and align yourself with people who are going to go on that journey with you. Got it. Now, one of the other things that you've been successful at is, uh, you know, getting great, um, you know, press, you know, your, your PR has been another benefit for you. So, uh, you know, your Forbes 30 under 30 and all these other recognitions. So how have you gone about, you know, successfully leveraging PR as a, as a resource? Yeah, I think it starts with, so everything, and I hate to sound like Simon Sinek, but it start with why, right? <laughs> so you, you want to, you want to first develop. Because if, if, if the why you're doing this isn't important to anyone, mm-hmm. you can hire a, a, as large of a PR team as you want, but it's not going to be compelling. Right. So as a founder, I, especially in the early days, I looked at it as I'm selling the vision to multiple constituencies. I'm selling to potential investors, uh, to my customers, and the people that um, join the initiative. Mm-hmm. And that compelling why, so our three words enrich conversations everywhere and how we're going to do that is what's created the foundational stories that has driven people to write about us and and, 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 and really has allowed us to engage in conversations and get on stages and provide our point of view uh, in a, a lot of different venues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's the, so that's at the top level Right with respect to why is your mission important, uh, and what is the broader impact that it's going to have that people should care about, and then there's obviously the the uh, more executional portions of that, which you know you're working with your PR teams and making sure that um, you're getting that message out there in the right venues. But I think from the highest level, from a strategy perspective, is what is that compelling story that you have to tell and the world needs to know about it, and why should they care? And then everything cascades from that. So reflecting on, you know, the four years of running a company, what do you think has been like the biggest, uh, you know, lesson learned, you know, since then? I think the biggest lesson learned is 
fundamentally going there's there's really two important things to make sure that you nail the first thing is is the vision correct right and like if when you have a sound vision everything from that point on uh tends to fall in place the 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 the, the strat the underlying strategy that supports the vision you know, is it's it's sound Mm -hmm. and then the tactical objectives that you uh engage in should all add up to that that vision the second piece though that i've learned is that people really 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 change the equation Mm -hmm. so i've you know one of the things that i've done here is focus on uh surrounding myself with people that i believe are smarter than me um i you know i started this company when i was in college and we have we're, we're really blessed to have, you know, top executives from Facebook and and Yahoo and NASA and you know, big global marketers here. And you know, I I was a person that ran restaurants at Chick Fil A, and I you know I had a sh- very short stint in, in finance. What I realized is that when I every single time I added someone truly spectacular to the team. Like A players attract A players first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And every single one of them taught me a lot of things in various different disciplines, whether it's from AI research to how to build and market a brand. And what you what we find is that they, cre- they add a dynamic and a level of sophistication to the company that really accelerates. So like people say, oh, we, you, we did this tactic for a growth hack and this tactic for a growth hack. For me, my ultimate growth hack is people. Mm-hmm. So if I could get the best person in the world for this particular job, how, how could I accomplish that? And if I do that, then the business accelerates. And I've seen that happen multiple times yeah. here. Well, you're really busy building Holler, so that's very time-consuming in itself. But when you do have free time, what do, what do you like to do outside of work? What I like to do outside of work... Uh, so that's a very that's the hardest question you you asked me today. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I you know I really do enjoy engaging in activities that have nothing to do with related to tech or media marketing. So I you know I, I spend a lot of time. I, I like to work out and I train and really push myself really hard. I do I see a trainer multiple times a week just because I you know I want to be challenged in different ways. Um, I like to engage in also uh, kind of mind-numbing activities, just like cooking, cooking and trying new things. Uh, and then also, I am a huge uh, comic book nerd, really? which makes sense. So oh. I like love Marvel. Uh, I've watched every single like Marvel movie the first day it came out since like I was in middle school. Wow! So like I'm like the biggest Marvel. Uh, junkie DC Comics everything which uh-huh. kind of makes sense now that I think about it that I was like oh emojis are great right uh, but Destiny. yeah yeah so I, I I'm huge on that and I and I and I um, you know I have three sisters and uh, we usually I even sometimes fly down to watch movies with them there in Miami but uh, really enjoy uh, that as well so cool well, Travis, thanks so much for taking the time to walk us through your background story, all the great things you guys are up to at Holler, and of course, all the great advice for other entrepreneurs to follow. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Keith.
Well, that's our show. I hope you found it useful and entertaining. If you did, please make sure you subscribe so you'll get future episodes. Also, please consider leaving us a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends and colleagues in the industry. It all really helps us out. Last but not least, don't forget to visit VentureFizz.com, the most trusted source for tech and startup jobs, news, and insights. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.